boos and ghouls. Welcome back to the How About This Halloween Spooktacular. And on tonight's episode, we have an episode full of frights and scares and things that go bump in the night. Quite literally, actually. As Jordan and Mike, our ghoulish hosts, take us on a journey through time and space to discuss one of the most legendary, one of the scariest, one of the most bone-chilling children's franchises of all time. That's right, we're talking about Goosebumps. So listener beware, you're in for a scare. Hey, what's up, how about this listeners? Welcome back to the how about this Halloween Spooktacular! Spooktacular! We're back for our second installment in the Halloween Spooktacular where we talk about horror things and scary things and spooky things and things that really celebrate the autumnal spirit. Things that go bump in the night. That was a hint. Yeah, that is it. That is a hint. It's technically a a hint. A mucus covered slime covered hint Mm. because on this week's episode, we're talking about something that I think anyone who grew up or was a kid of the 1990s had at least a dozen of these in their home. And, and if you didn't, you were probably considered pretty lame. Yeah. You were a total nerd if you didn't have them, but also if you did. Matt's yeah. a real catch-22. Yeah, you know, you're that's definitely that's definitely true. Um, it's it's a very strange, it's a very strange thing. But before we tell you what we're talking about today, I have to introduce. My co-host, your co-host, our co-host, the main barker at Horrorland, oh. the man who's running the show, Mr. Jordan Hugh. Well, thank you. And I'd like to introduce my co-host, uh, the man whose silky voice you just heard, of course, the werewolf of Fever Swamp himself, Mike Stout. That's right. And I try to I try to have perfect hair as frequently as I possibly you can. Do. So you do. Yeah. So yeah, the um, the werewolf His hair was perfect. Is yep. And it's, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's it. That's it. I'm not, you know, I think I'm not sure if it's the full moon. So I don't think I have to worry about transformation, (laughs) transformation right now. But uh, today to, as you've all probably have guessed at this point in time, we are talking about goosebumps. goosebumps. And I know for a fact, even though Jordan and I have not really ever talked about goosebumps at, at length in our 20 plus year friendship, I do feel that you absolutely owned a ton of these. I know that I had like a bookshelf dedicated to Goosebumps books. And it was a, it was kind of this weird phenomenon where over the course of like five years, R.L. Stein, who also wrote the Fear Street books, yeah, co-currently, right? Concurrently with Goosebumps. They were writing them at the same time. He was writing yeah, at the so same he time. Was with, um, he was with Parachute, which was another uh, yeah. public publisher. And he moved over to Scholastic, and there was actually some some rights issues as he transferred from one to the other. But I believe he was he was already writing a series, and someone had pitched him this idea: "Hey, you should write scary books for younger kids." I think he initially signed to. I did a little light research before this episode. 
he initially signed to to write like six books <laughs> and uh somehow i don't know the muse just took him over and he ended up writing i believe 60 some odd goosebumps in the regular series and then an additional few dozen in like the special edition series or the short story collections so they have now risen to become the second highest selling book series of all time he is only beaten by jk rowling for harry potter that's kind of crazy but when you yeah. think about it when you think about how like gigantic Harry Potter is. Yeah. You don't always want to throw goosebumps in that same conversation, but like right. there was 67 books, I think total or sure. whatever, just well, shy you know, of 70. You know, what's at play there is actually, I think it's, uh, and I'm not being funny. I think it's actually, it's, it's genre prejudice. Yeah. It's, I think um, so. It's because the Harry Potter books, and listen, I love Harry Potter. Listen to our previous episode on Harry Potter. You will see that both Mike and I are huge, huge Harry Potter fans. One of my favorite things ever. But Harry Potter is considered like this prestigious work of literature, not even just children's literature. Uh, Harry Potter is considered just prestigious literature, period. It's like a, a culture and genre and generational defining thing. Goosebumps are seen as trashy horror books for kids. To the extent yeah. that even teachers don't really like when students read them, even though students are reading. So what the fuck is your problem? I actually um, agree with that. I agree yeah. with that sentiment that it's it's a great gateway into reading, just like, you know, teachers getting annoyed that kids are reading Harry Potter. It's like, don't get annoyed. Right. You know, maybe show them other things that are like Harry Potter that they might also like. Maybe they would like right. the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Maybe they would yeah. like Lord of the exactly. Rings. Being being an educator myself, uh, it's so hard for me to conceive of an educator being like, Yes, I need you to read. You need to read more to be a valuable member of society. Hey, no, slaps your hands. Not yeah. like that. You have you know, to read the so books. That's so lame. That's so lame. You have to read the books we want you to read. Yeah, that's so lame. I mean, lame. Um, uh, thankfully, in my curriculum at my particular school, we, we really value independent reading. And um, though my, my folks are much older, I have a feeling down in the lower grades, those teachers do not mind if the students choose goosebumps as their independent reading. But you know what? At my elementary school, which I will not name on air, but at my elementary school, we were allowed to like have goosebumps in school, but we couldn't choose them for reading time. That was like a thing. I don't know what my teacher had up her butt, but she was like, absolutely no goosebumps at reading time. And we were like, what? Why not? I, I think I know why. What do you why? Because I think the teacher was probably sick of hearing reading the same book report about <laughs> the same five goosebumps books over and over again. I remember that also happening when a lot when a lot of kids would read like Pokemon books when they okay. were coming out. And I think teachers just got sick and tired of like reading the same stories about Pikachu and and Mew and Mewtwo and all that stuff. And they probably got sick of reading like, oh, look, another kid read Say Cheese and Die. Great. Yeah, I think it's crap, uh, to be honest with you. I think it's I crap. Do. I mean, I agree. You know, if you're a teacher, just you know, deal with it. I Listen, if there is a problem, like you're reading a book in class, like, I don't know, you're reading like, I don't know at that grade level, maybe you're reading like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or, you know, something like that, uh, whatever, whatever you're reading in class. And if the kid won't read the class book because he insists he's going to be reading Goosebumps or, you know, sh she will not, you know, read, I don't know, the Wolves of Willoughby Chase or something you've, you've picked out and insists they must read their Goosebumps book, then you could have an intervention. But if this is like choose your own reading and we're just going to have like a half an hour of reading time or whatever, let the kid read the fucking Goosebumps book. I, I don't understand the, the quashing of the love of reading let them follow their interests. This is what makes people hate reading and hate school. Also, like Goosebumps, I think reading Goosebumps could, if if someone is interested in reading Goosebumps, it might spark their interest in 
something else further down the line. Like yeah. I think that Goosebumps for us was like it came along at like a very weird time for the genre of horror. I feel like yeah. horror movies weren't really good at this point in time. I feel they like horror, were bad. horror movies were bad. Pre, pre-horror movie renaissance. Yeah, yeah. Pre-scream, right? Pre-scream. So, so, you know, the 80s obviously had like a collection of some of the best horror movies ever made. The 90s is typically known as being a very bad time for horror movies. So instead of horror trying to find a different way, it kind of went younger at this period of time with yeah. scary stories to tell in the dark with, sure. are you afraid, are you, are of, you the afraid dark? of the dark? Yeah. Are you afraid mm-hmm. of the dark on TV? Goosebumps. If you got a little older fear street, fear yeah. street mm-hmm. yeah. and stuff like that. And I think it probably got a lot of peep kids in the nineties, very interested in the genre and in yeah. that in general. And I think it's really great to have an entry point into a genre like horror. That's as digestible and mm-hmm. accessible as goosebumps was. Yeah. To be clear, um, Goosebumps really broke this ground. There was not a lot of horror for young people in general. Yeah. You could do something like a scary stories or something like that, but that was really all you could do. There really wasn't anything else. No. You you would find your odd short story here and there. There there wasn't a lot for you. You could find something that was maybe like a little bit macabre or something like that. There was no series for you to read. So Goosebumps was filling a very particular niche that had not been filled yet. And I think the original series is in print from, I think it's 1992 is the start. 92 to 97. That's it. It goes 92 to 97, which is like right when we are in elementary school. That's like like exactly where we are. If you didn't leave this scholastic book fair with like without five Goosebumps books, like, yeah, like, you're a fucking loser. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right, dork. Yeah, you're, you're gonna, gonna get, get beat up for re- for reading. That's right. For not reading. Yeah, that was the only time, other than Harry Potter. I'm serious. Other than yeah. Harry Potter and maybe like the Hunger Games resurgence later on, uh, that was the only time reading was super cool. It was like, how many goosebumps do you have? Do you have all the like? What number are you up to? Which ones are you missing? People used to trade goosebumps, dude. It was like trading cards almost. Cause like yeah. I, I'll tell you right now, I definitely had. I would say I probably had the first fifty or so goosebumps books. I would imagine maybe like mid forties. Wow. Uh, and wow. then, that's actually that's more than I had. And did I read them all? No, no, I definitely didn't read them all. I read a bunch of them. But I know I definitely had up through, I think, book number, you know what? I'm, I'm wrong. It's not 50. I think I had up through book like number 45 or 46. I think the last book I had was either Ghost Camp or How to Kill a Monster. Unless That's vamp- still pretty high. Unless vampire. No, I had Vampire Breath. So I did have a little further on. But it was like a thing. You know, you go to B. Dalton, you go to the Borders, you go to, you'd go to, Barnes and Noble and you would buy a few Goosebumps books. You know, it's like I liked reading a lot in elementary school and not only, you know, I didn't only want to read like all those wayside school books and stuff like that. I would pick up a Goosebumps book or I'd pick up something else like that. So you'd have a collection of what what was good out there. And it definitely made me very interested in reading. It definitely made me very interested in horror as a genre, sci-fi as a genre, sci-fi horror as a genre. And it really is a gateway into that, into that genre and medium. So, yeah, I remember uh, my, my experience with owning those books. And I was very proud to have them on my shelf and I thought they looked so cool and I would read them multiple times. Similar to you, I think the first book cover that I ever looked at and I started to saying to myself, like, I think I might be over these was actually um, I don't remember what number in the series this was, but it was The Haunted Mask 2. Yep. And um, it's got a great, great cover. All the artwork for these covers are so just pulpy and fun and cool. 
But this one, uh, you, you could not buy the book another way. It had a permanent sticker on the cover art that said, watch Goosebumps on Fox Kids TV. And it was like suddenly the show and the books had become like sort of wired into the same thing. And I didn't like as a kid, like, you know how kids get these little fixations. I could not get over that this sticker was like not removable, that it was like part of the cover art. And it really bothered me. And then I got the Headless Ghost and the same thing. And then it was like every single book that came out beyond that, uh, Abominable Snowman of Pasadena, How I Got My Shrunken Head, all had that sticker on it. And I kind of stopped like enjoying them as much. I know like a sticker should not have affected me, but like it really did. To the extent that I think the last Goosebump book that I actually bought and said, I, you know, I think I'm done was Say Cheese and Die Again, which was fa fairly late in the series, and it was a sequel as well, and actually wasn't a bad book, but I was just kind of like, no, I'm done. There was a trading card inside that one. I was like, I don't think I'm getting on board this trading card bandwagon with this, and I doubt I read past Say Cheese and Die Again. If I read another one after that, it would have been like as a lark. I don't think I was like part of that. So you you actually lasted longer than me. Yeah, and I think it was just because I was so used to just getting them and I loved having the numbers. It was like comic books, but for books and or trading cards. And these are all relatively short books. They're easy to read. You can probably blow through them in a few days if you're a kid in elementary school or middle school. And, you know, they were the big series at the time. Yeah. I, I don't know what came close after that. Like Fear Street was pretty popular. I know Animorphs was pretty popular, but I it would have been like an Animorphs. Yeah. After Goosebumps, I really never got into another book series like this outside of like a Harry Potter. Uh, and, and I read all the Hunger Games, too. But, uh, you know, you know how I feel about the Hunger Games. So <laughs> so Goosebumps was kind of this sensation. And in order to compete with stuff like Are You Afraid of the Dark? Fox Kids TV put a TV show together that was yeah, that, which was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. To this day, it's still a pretty good TV series and like and pretty well received by by reviewers and by people who watched it. And it's one of those things where it's it kind of became so much bigger than itself. R.L. Stein was like a household name at this point in time. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and I think Goosebumps actually did eclipse Fear Street. At this point in time, oh, I think Fear Street, no doubt, yeah. I think Fear Street was probably probably a little older. I feel like Fear Street was was more directed the books, at least from what I remember, and I might be wrong here. They were more directed towards like a middle school age, like girl audience, maybe. Yeah. So uh, the problem wasn't that it was directed towards middle schoolers or even girls. Uh, it was that um, they actually like put themselves out of the market without realizing it, because when you're in middle school, if you're a reader. There's really nothing stopping you to just jumping to the adult horror books. Yeah. I mean, if you've got some chill parents and you can use a little bit of like reasonable discretion, you can just go read Stephen King. You do not have to fuck around with R.L. Stein anymore. No, no, no. In that point in time, you could you can read some of the more more, you know, mature stuff, even like some of like the simple, the easier Stephen King. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, the, I think it's dark, the, but oh, of course. But the, the big leap from Goosebumps to Fear Street was actually just the mere fact that Fear Street included uh, death. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. In all of the Goosebumps books, yeah, they'd be scary or gross or creepy or whatever. But there was actually kind of a limit to what could happen to characters, uh, even side characters. And in Fear Street, those limits were kind of removed. So it was like the bumpers were off. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Uh, the characters could could be really hurt or they could be killed. And that was really the significant uh, difference. Fear Street didn't really have sex and drugs and stuff like that. It had romance, which was something that was sort of curiously absent from Goosebumps. But it, it didn't go the extra mile 
sorry, rather, Fear Street did go the extra mile where Goosebumps didn't in terms of including character death. But it was such a little step to just go read like other appropriate horror novels that were kind of like, oh, yeah, you could probably handle, you know, a Stephen King, like a girl who loved Tom Gordon or Salem's Lot or something like that. Carrie even. Carrie even, sure. You know, there's some mature content in there, but like a 13-year-old girl can handle it. Like, I'm pretty sure they can. Sure. And maybe, uh, maybe not a 13-year-old boy, but certainly a 13-year-old girl. Oh, certainly not. Uh, yes. I, I don't think so. And just to bring it back to that comment you were saying of how like you were turned off by the sticker on the book and, you know, that's oh, how kids God, are. I hated it, yeah. Dude, you're talking to a guy who is still upset that his Final Fantasy VII isn't Black Label. So oh, yeah. I have a greatest hits Final Fantasy seven because I think I had lost my original Final Fantasy seven at some time in in middle or elementary school. I mean, middle school. Yeah. And uh, to this day, it bugs me that it's a green label. So, yep. dude, you're totally fine and justified with that. So do you have a favorite Goosebumps? Yeah, I've got well two stand out in my mind. And I feel like one of those two is everyone's favorite. So I'll, I'll go with the less conventional choice first. My favorite Goosebumps book that isn't the obvious choice is The Scarecrow Walks at Midnight. Oh, yeah. What which a cover. is it's a great cover. It's about a kid on a farm. So that's kind of like our standard desolate location. And like, yeah, Scarecrow that fucking comes alive at night. It's really scary. I always enjoyed like uh, Halloween and harvest type imagery. So it, it was just a really cool book and I, I enjoyed it. I thought it had a badass title. It was one of those things that I sort of like made up my mind to like before I even read the book just because I like the art and the uh, title so much. So you and can judge it being a, book. a really good one. You can judge a book by its cover if it's Goosebumps. <laughs> you know, funny enough, man. Yeah. Goosebumps, you actually could judge them by their covers. To be honest with you, I actually can't think of a Goosebumps book where the cover sucks and the book is great. Like, Oftentimes there's a shitty cover and you're like, yep, this is as bad as I was expecting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this isn't good. <laughs> yeah. So what's your, um, what's your more conventional pick? My more conventional favorite is usually everyone's favorite, which is One Day at Horrorland. Yeah. Which is, uh, that's just so good. In fact, that one is so good that that actually had its own series. So even R.L. Stein knew. He was like, actually, yeah, this one's fucking good. And also, who doesn't love a haunted, scary theme park? Like, come on. Yeah, not... Yeah. Well, actually, that's like one of my favorite conventions in literature or in film. Yeah. Uh, and they use it all the time. This is of like high, high spirits and all that stuff, which is just like, hey, we're going to have this horror theme thing and pretend it's haunted. Oops, it's actually haunted. Yep. I love that. I, I love, love that. every story where that's the convention. And I think Horrorland actually does a great job with it. And I just loved, you know, like any kid, I love theme parks. I loved monsters. That book had it all. And again, that might be the best Goosebumps cover. It's definitely one of the most recognizable Goosebumps covers. It's like that one is up there with like, with like, um, not a living dummy. It's like a classic sure. Goosebumps cover. Is with... that your favorite? No, my favorite book is actually, I think it's a Stay Out of the Basement. I, I okay. loved Stay That's Out of the really Basement. That's a really good one. Really as good a kid, one. Yeah. I, and I remember like watching the show, and like all of the episodes of the show were like, I think they were like thirty minutes long. Yeah. And I remember mm -hmm. Stay Out of the Basement was like a double because it was like everyone was excited. Everyone was so excited for that one because it was like one of the first books that that Arl Stein had written in the series. It's book number two. And, you know, it's got a great, great story of a plant man in the basement. Yeah. And it's uh, it's it's crazy. And I was always like a big fan of like that type of character. I love Swamp Thing. I'm a big yeah, fan of that. Was book two. Thing. It was book two of the book series. Two. There? Yeah. Book two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So stay out of the basement was book number two. And I, I really love I love the cover on it. It's very simple. 
but seeing that like big plant hand trying to like open or close the basement door is really fun is really yeah. fun and it's gr- and it's kind of gross but also not it's like night like goosebumps really leaned into a bit that kind of gross out 90s kind of humor that you would see not humor but like aesthetic that you would see even in stuff like red and stimpy yeah or even like the nintendo play it loud campaign uh later on in uh yeah. later on in the 90s where like there, it was like really nintendo put out these ads but goosebumps really leaned into that they had that kind of 90s grossness to it which you know was very popular i mean the biggest games at this point in time were like doom nickelodeon yeah. was running on all cylinders with like borderline gross out humor between like rocker's modern life and uh and ren and stimpy Beavis and Butthead was the biggest thing in the world at this point in time. Right. Not not to mention that the biggest thing you could do at Nickelodeon was to slime somebody. To right? Slime that someone. Was the whole thing. Hit them with the monster blood, which I actually also think is a is a great series of covers of what's going on. Gr- and each- that's actually, I think, that's the best series internally yes. in the world of Goosebumps yes. is the yes. monster blood stuff. Even though I personally never got up to Monster Blood four because I said, "All right, guys, come the fuck on." Well, I mean, I feel that way about Rocky, right? <laughs> right. But, you know, uh, the gross out I, thing, I think, was deliberate on R.L. Stein's part. Yeah, uh, just knew. because. Well, no, because, I mean, he couldn't push it to be scarier. Yes. Do you know what I mean? There yes. was a line that he very deliberately couldn't cross, but he could always be more gross because we've kind of decided as a society, we can be as gross as we want in things meant for kids. But like we, there's a certain line of of scariness that we can't cross. Of course. And it's very gross in a. Ghostbusters or like the real Ghostbusters kind of way. It's like you get slimed, there are ghosts around, you know, nobody dies, but you might get hit with ectoplasm or something, you know, and that's kind of got like this kind of creepy, scary ghost thing. Like, for example, I was talking about stay out of the basement in any other story that would have been a zombie or a Frankenstein monster made of dead parts. But instead, it's a guy made out of plants, which is kind of gross and if you've played the last of us that's like the zombies in that game are all like fungal based so they're, they're all kind plant-based of plant-based zombies yeah. plant-based zombies so it's kind of like it's it's kind of cool to see how how creative rl stein would get when making these books and stories something that would be good for children to read and experience and spark interest in in horror on their own i i think guys like you and me if it weren't for goosebumps on TV and the books, if it weren't for that. And are you afraid of the dark? I don't know if we'd be as into horror as we are. And now I wouldn't consider myself like a diehard horror fan as some other of our friends, uh, some of our other friends, but I definitely enjoy a good horror movie or good spooky movie or good spooky oh, video yeah. game. And I think that all dates back to Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say like the two big influencers for people our generation in terms of being into horror stuff is one is R.L. Stein, 100%. And the other is Tim Burton. The other is Tim Burton just kind of like inviting you into the world of the macabre in a way that wasn't an R-rated kill fest. Precisely. Um, You know, and as you said earlier in in this recording, horror itself is in a weird spot. It had kind of its high art period for about 10 years. We often talk about like that 68 to 78 stretch, what would be kind of referred to as like Rosemary's Baby, Night of the Living Dead, 68 up to Halloween, 78. And then everything just kind of falls apart <laughs> after yeah. Amityville and uh, and those like films in the very late 1970s, because the 80s, even though they give rise to all the great horror franchises, after those franchises make about two movies, they completely crap out into mostly nonsense. Yeah. Um, so the 80s is filled with like, especially the late 80s is filled with mostly schlock. Not all of it. Some of it's great. 
But by the time we get to the early 90s, when Goosebumps is happening, there's not a lot of great, great horror happening in the early 90s. Not until Scream in 96 do we really get a resurgence. And Scream is quite good. Scream's I, an A-list. That's an A-list I horror movie. Yeah. Still, still, like, I remember what, I watched Scream again recently, and, like, every time I watch Scream, I'm like, they really nailed it with this one. Like, this is, you could tell, like, this was a, this was something, and it does what horror needs to do. It's self-referential. It, it makes fun of itself to a degree. It's kind of a spoof on itself while also being an homage. It's kind of what Shaun of the Dead does with zombie movies. Sure. And as and, we'll talk about when we get to my pitch, it's also, it's a Wes Craven venture. So it yeah. is a horror, it's a horror master sitting back down in the chair and kind of saying like, okay, I know what I fucked up. Here's what I could do now. Exactly. How, how can we make this work moving forward? Yeah. And no, but like I like I was saying, I, I love these books as a kid. I, I love them as a, a piece of culture. I love them as an art piece. Like it's everything. Goosebumps is everything all in one. It's got art. It's got it's fun. It's scary. It's got that it, it, it's a it's got the collector aspect to it. It translated yeah. to different art forms. And now, you know, there's two movies that have come out. Uh, I haven't seen no. the second one. I saw the first one. And you know it's what? Good. The, the first one is great, especially if you're trying to introduce your kids or young kids into the genre. It's got like a Monster Squad kind of feel to it, you know, it where does. like, or yeah. Monster Squad, Stranger Things, that kind of feel where it's like Monster House, even. It's like, it's goofier than Stranger Things, obviously, but it's got like those kids versus the monster feel, sure. which I really yeah. like. The Goosebumps films were actually even goofier than the Goosebumps show. Somehow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, like tonally, they're way more openly comical. Yes. Um, they're good, actually. A lot of people, I think, kind of went away from them because it was like, oh, Jack Black and stupid sound effects. This is a kid's movie. Uh, yeah, it is a kid's movie. But actually, both, both Goosebumps films, um, the first one and Haunted Halloween, they're, they're both really enjoyable. They're they're worthy of a rewatch. And also, Jack Black as R.L. Stein fucking Great. rules. Great. He's really good. Great. So I fun. Uh, I love I, I, We said this before on this podcast, but like there are few actors who will go into a kid's movie and really have fun and act the shit out of it. And Jack Black, like, is consistently that guy, which is why I'm excited it, for his Bowser. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's great. But actually, uh, Jack Black is doing like really good work in a movie that almost no one saw called The House with the Clock in Its Walls. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Or The yeah. House with a Clock in Its Walls. I, I was a little fuzzy on that title. I believe Which, that's based on a book as well. It sounds like a Goosebumps book. <laughs> yeah, it's got amazing cast. Kate Blanchett is in there. Kyle mm -hmm. MacLachlan. It's a it's a actually a really good movie. Also Halloween themed movie. And that's a very Goosebumps esque uh, endeavor, too. So actually, I think Jack Black is a great sort of guy to be associated with this property. So when we get to pitches, he'll be um, still a part of my pitch. But Mike, I have a mini game for us for today's episode. <laughs> so Mike, I thought uh, I sent you a link, a link to a particular site, and uh, it's got all the covers to the different Goosebumps books where you can just basically just shuffle through them. I see and this. I thought, you know, we're not going to spend, you know, 80 minutes doing this. Don't worry, listeners. But I thought we could just kind of go through the covers and just be like, oh, wasn't that a cool one or whatever? And maybe pick out the coolest cover. So um, let's go. Uh, I'll start and we'll go kind of every other one. Okay. Sure. And feel free to feel free to chime in. The first cover and listeners might remember this one is Welcome to Dead House. It's the first book. It's got kind of like a magenta frame on the cover. And it's just like an ominous open door. <laughs> and the, the the tag on the on the poster is it will just kill you. I love that. I is, love that. Is what is on the first book? The 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 taglines on these books are almost as good as the covers themselves. It's great. That first book isn't great. 
No, no. That's why I think Stay Out of the Basement is such a book that people like so much because the first one's like, okay, it's all right. All right. So yeah, you introduced that cover. So Stay Out of the Basement is a hand. Yeah. It's It's a plant hand. It looks almost like a Swamp Thing hand reaching out to either open or close a door into the basement. And the tagline is, something's waiting in the dark. Yeah, that's awesome. The third one is, in my opinion, the best of the early covers. Yeah. And I know not everyone loves this series, but this is the first Monster Blood book, and it is literally the green goop coming down the stairs. Which is great. And the tag is corny. It's a Monster Blood Drive is the tag (laughs) on the poster, but it rules. There's like a pair of glasses like drowning in the muck, and it's fucking good. It's a really good cover. Really good cover. Um, Yeah. Book number four is another book that I think people might remember more for the title than anything else. And the picture on the cover, it's Say Cheese and Die. Yeah. And it's a Polaroid of a family at a barbecue, but they're all skeletons. And this always reminds me of the parody series that ran alongside Goosebumps <laughs> in the mid to late 90s called Goof Flumps, written by R.U. Slime. <laughs> and his first book, I think, was called Eat Cheese and Barf. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. 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 Um, Say Cheese and Die, also great, great cover. Great cover. Um, the next one, it was always strikingly serious. It was The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. Uh, the tag is What Will Wake the Dead. It's literally just a mummy with with red eyes. And it's actually like a actually a very serious cover. It's very not goosebumpsy, and it's very just very serious. A straight up fucking terrifying mummy. But we love mummies here, so we do. And what's the tag I, on the I on the mummy one, it's just what will wake the dead. All right, we'll do we'll do a few more of these. You've got a bad one coming up. This one's bad. Let's get invisible. Yeah, this invisible. is shitty. This is a bad book with a bad cover. We're gonna skip it. Skip it. Got All it. right, you got you got another good one. Go ahead. Night of Living Dummy. What a good one. What a great cover. What an amazing cover. It's you know it's got Slappy's face on it. It's definitely one of the images that made goosebumps goosebumps at that point it in did. time. Yeah. So good. It's it's still striking. Great color scheme on this one. And he walks, he, he stalks because he's a talking dummy because dummies are terrifying. They are. And I have to comment, what always bothered me about Slappy and depictions of Slappy is the mouth. Yeah. Uh, because one, it's a puppet mouth, which uh, inarguably puppet mouths are, are terrifying, uh, objectively. It's that he has no top teeth. Yeah. He only has bottom teeth and he has too many bottom teeth. And it's something I just have fixated on for 30 years. Exactly. It's terrifying. Right. I've got I mean, another shitty one. <laughs> let's skip that one. Fuck the girl who cried monster. We are skipping. We also skipped. Let's get invisible. Uh, All right. So welcome to Camp Nightmare. It's not a great book. It is a great cover. Uh, It's the little camp of horrors. Very cute. It's like a a glowing green tent in the scary wilderness. It looks like a monster is coming in. Could be a wolf. Could be something else with glowing eyes. Bug. Uh, Not not a book. I remember that well. I remember not liking it. Me either. Oh, you got another shitty one. Yeah, I'm skipping this one. The ghost next door has been skipped. Stupid. Uh, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna go to the haunted mask. Haunted very mask. good. Very very good. good. Uh, another classic Goosebumps cover. Like this was something you would buy a folder, like a trapper keeper folder with this mask on it. It's very yeah. reminiscent of like the mask. Iconic, totally but, iconic. But like, but like evil, and if looks could kill, is the is the tagline. You've yeah. got you've got some bad ones in a row right now, my friend. I know. Haunted Mask is really good. I'm going to kind of skip through the rest of these. Be careful what you wish for. Has the uh, broken crystal ball. Shitty book. Piano lessons can be murder. It's got the disembodied hands playing piano. Play it again, hands. Shitty. All right, listen, I'm going to stop here at the Werewolf of Fever Swamp. This is apparently a good book or people consider it to be good. I didn't like it. The cover is good. 
it's great. The cover's got great art. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Howling awesome wolf from discarded clothes right by it. Uh, Glowing green water, big full moon. It was one of the iconic titles, actually, because Fever Swamp just sounds cool. Yep, I agree. And I will do just one more because these are all kind of bad. You Can't Scare Me is actually a good cover. It's not a good book. It's like Can't Scare Me has the, the terrible mud monsters, but the artwork fucking kicks ass. Yeah, it is. It is good artwork. Yeah. So actually, we need to look up the who was the Goosebumps cover artist? I don't know. They might have had different artists for everything. No, I think it's one dude. Oh, it is uh, Tim Jacobus. Tim Jacobus. Tim Jacobus, the artist best known for illustrating the covers for nearly 100 R.L. Stein Goosebumps books. And listen, big up for fucking Tim Jacobus. A dude that is like should be just considered just as iconic as R.L. Stein. Yeah, almost as important as the writing, if in some cases, possibly more important because so many people bought these books based on the covers. All right, you take over. You've got a couple of good ones in a row and then we'll, we'll stop in a few minutes. Yeah, let's let's just do the last few here. Uh, yeah. Welcome to Horrorland, obviously. Top yeah, tier. 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10, home run of a cover. Why I'm Afraid of Bees, and eh, I don't really know. Oh, this dude, this is so bad. Yeah, this is Why bad. I'm Afraid of Bees, I feel like I bought it just to have it, like yeah. in the collection, and then didn't read it. It's just like a little shrunken kid's head on a fucking bee body. Stupid bullshit. And then the next two are are two of my favorite. Monster oh, Blood so 2. Monster Blood 2 rules. With the big evil hamster, which is covered in monster guts. And Deep Trouble, I think it's great. I love a Jaws reference, and this is kind of hitting right, that hitting Absolutely. that jaw spot. And then... Let's wrap it up, Jordan, with your with your with your uh, favorite pick there. Yep. So we're going to stop right here with the Scarecrow Walks at Midnight. It's a fucking kick ass cover. It's a really scary looking scarecrow in a cornfield. It's a field of screams. Um, Just awesome. Just and I I remember having all of those reading most of them. Uh, That was a a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this uh, trip down memory lane. I apologize that our listeners don't have the visual component, but wasn't it fun to listen to us do that? I I think I, I had a lot of fun. I personally had fun. And that's all that matters is the fun the two of us have. Exactly. I mean, why are we doing this show? Is it <laughs> is it to entertain other people? Is it to entertain Absolutely ourselves? Not. This is for us. This is for us. So uh, the, those of you out there who listen every week, just remember that. Yeah, this is PFU. Yeah. Podcasts yeah. for us. Emphasis for us. on the FU. Yes. Well, you wanted to go that way. And I think that was the right way to go. Thank you. So we've discussed Goosebumps. We talked about our history with it. We, we've celebrated the covers and the artwork and all the great things that uh, R.L. Stein and in some cases, R.U. Slime might have written. <laughs> so let's get into pitches, man. Do you want to go right, first? Or you want me to go first? I will absolutely go first. I'm, I'm nervous that we're going to have the same idea. Just letting you know. That's OK. Go for it. All right. So how about this? So listen, I got kind of angry earlier this year when Fear Street came out because I happened to run a tabletop game that is exactly the plot to Fear Street. (laughs) And And I was like, to be fair, you've been running this tabletop game for like four or five years at this point. Yeah, for years. And uh, it was not at all based on Fear Street, but it was just kind of like the plot that they ended up using for those Fear Street films, which are good, by the way. I like them a lot. Uh, on Netflix just happened to like be very similar to my almost um, exactly. Yeah, to my tabletop game. So I decided to hit back with money. I am doing Goosebumps Masters of Horror. Okay, uh, that is the name of my my series. It is a series. And, TV series? Uh, yeah, it's gonna be a TV series, sort of a limited TV series or an anthologized TV series. So uh, I just want to share with the listener the original title to that because I'm notorious for bad titles on this show. Sometimes the original title was going to be Goose Flesh. 
Ooh. And I was like, that sounds like some kind of weird bird porn. And uh, nobody wants any of that. Nobody. So, Goosebumps Masters of Horror is going to be a very high budget television miniseries event, which could have multiple seasons. And the idea is that, and I, I realize my idea is technically impossible, but it's not if you got Elon Musk money, right? It is to bring in a legitimate master of horror to come in and produce a one-hour version of a Goosebumps book. I love that. Um, and when I talk about masters of horror, I mean like the working masters of today. They will come in and they will make a one-hour film, not merely a television episode. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Right. So my inspiration for this is something I've mentioned, I think, quite a few times on this podcast because I'm really a big fan of it. Actually, friend of the show, Evan Dinellen, is also a big fan. So the Twilight Zone movie came out in 83. And famously, that movie had four, I think, half hour long segments, each of which was directed by John Landis, Steven Spielberg, Joe Dante and George Miller. Obviously, four fucking giants of the industry. And actually, sidetrack note, you know, hilariously, the the John Landis Spielberg shorts in that movie are not as good (laughs) as the Joe Dante, George Miller ones. George Miller wipes the floor with everybody. I mean, the guy the guy did Fury Road. Yeah. George Miller wipes the floor with Steven Spielberg, which is just hilarious to me in my mind. But the idea was like, They all got to do their own thing and it was just not even tied together. Like in the Twilight Zone movie, there is a frame story, but it really has nothing to do with the episodes that they're doing. So here is my pitch. Each of these guys are getting to make a one hour film version of a Goosebump book that I assigned to them. So I've only set up six of these, but I have like two bonus ones in case. So obviously we're dealing with millions and millions of dollars because you have to hire these guys and they're going to want to work with their people. But that's kind of what I'm counting on. So here are who I've paired up with what. The first one, and we're taking these totally out of order, and I think that's kind of how it should go. Fine. Make the is, best ones first. Yeah. The first one is going to be Night of the Living Dummy. Yep. Because you need to establish yep. establish Slappy. Uh, because Slappy is such a vital icon to the Goosebumps series. He's funny, he's charming and personable, and he's really terrifying. And I want to see Sam Raimi's Night of the Living Dummy. I think Raimi has the right balance of like, I can be really gross and really funny and really scary and push the envelope without opening the envelope. I I love that so much. Yeah. And these are all going to be PG-13 horror. So I can introduce some death, but these are not going to be like, these are not rated R bloodbaths. They're not like the Fear Street movies they put on Netflix. That's exactly right. Which these are, are not not the level of history. These are the level of Stranger Things. Yes, which is great. And yeah, that's so great for kids. Yeah, it goes kind of like right to the lip, but not over it. So Sam Raimi's Night of the Living Dunny, Dummy, I think would just be a, a ton of fun. I'm sure he would get his people involved, and I think it would be just a great time. Um, I actually would like Jack Black to voice Slappy. I think that's great. Yeah, after we debut uh, Night of the Living Dead, Slappy is going to stick around and he's going to be the frame for the other ones in the set. He's going to be our Crypt Keeper. See, that's what I was actually going to to say. Uh, and this was one of the ideas I had had because we had yeah. actually have a very similar idea. Yours is just much more um, thought out than mine was, you know, bringing back Goosebumps as an anthologized TV series is what I was yeah. thinking. And you have Jack Black as your Rod Serling as as R.L. Stein, like he's playing R.L. Stein, introducing the stories to you. So I would actually take that as him being Stein and Slappy. I just really also want him to be Slappy. You could probably do both. Yeah, I mean, he's Slappy in the movie, right? Yeah. And what what I like about these is like if I'm putting different horror masters on them, they can all have kind of their own tone. Yeah. And then they're all just kind of contained within Slappy introducing the next story. 
Well, yeah, Night of the Living Dummy too is can be it can be high camp, you know, yeah. something that Raimi's really good at. Sure. My next one is the first of the Monster Blood series, and Monster. it is I think this is the one I'm the proudest of, so I probably should have waited on it. But no, um, no, no. I want John Carpenter's Monster Blood. Yep. I want yep. fucking the master himself. Yep. I want John Carpenter to come in and do Monster Blood, and I want him to use basically like his his set of tools from the thing the thing yeah right that this stuff transforms you or anything it touches in a way that is grotesque really gross but not over the line in terms of like it you know kills you and your family you know so i think i think he's like your gross out guy there was the temptation to do something dave cronenberg here but i think john carpenter has like a lighter touch i I think inarguably right i think so So i I think a john carpenter monster blog would, would be so fun i've got one day at horrorland with of course Guillermo del Toro. Oh my gosh. Uh, Cause I think yeah. his horror land would be so cool. I'm already like, I think he would do so well with the horrors. I think, you know, the, the setting for him at an amusement park would just be so cool. It's like a self-contained piece. And I think he would really get something out of that. Definitely. Um, so I thought del Toro was, was a great choice for that. If, if for nothing else than for creature design, honestly, we need more del Toro. We just oh, need yeah. more of his stuff. I'm very excited for his new movie coming up. Yeah. Um, Right, so this one's kind of wild. I wanted to do uh, the haunted mask because it's it's one you have to do. You can't do goosebumps and not do haunted no, mask. Absolutely. And I wanted Jordan Peele. Oh yeah, Jordan yeah. Peele does um, as is so exampled with um, Get Out and Us. He does identity and suppression of identity and like trying to say who you really are so well. And I think Haunted Mask has good opportunity for social commentary, which Jordan Peele is a master of social commentary. So I thought having his version of what this would look like, his little girl with that mask stuck on her face. What does she see? How do people treat her? I think Jordan Peele can do that in a really intelligent, scary way and still also have fun with it. Yeah, really, really fun. Jordan Peele is incredibly funny. He's incredibly funny. He's incredibly smart. And I, I think he's 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 our Jordan Peele is like our next best hope for like the next generation of horror. Because he understands what makes horror work. Yeah, Jordan Peele's like real. I I love his stuff. I I'm amazing. Like, when like you, if you actually like told me like any one of these guys had a movie coming out next, I would be excited for all of them. But I might be most excited for Jordan Peele just because I'm so interested in the trajectory of his career. Yeah, me too. How um, you know he goes from it, just his his trajectory so far has been so interesting. Going from it's, like it's, sketch it's stratospheric. comedy, it's so cool. Yeah, sketch comedy to like making some of the greatest horror movies the last ten years. Like really great, crazy stuff. Yeah, so I've just got a few more. Uh, some of these are out of reach now, but I just think they'd be fun. Um, so say cheese and die. Say cheese and die is cool because it's like it's almost like a, it's almost like the kindling or the starter for like a final destination. It's like oh, you yeah. take a photo with this camera, and the camera shows you this terrifying image of what may or may not happen. And I thought a great director for that would be James Wan. Yeah, uh, James Wan of like your you know your Conjuring Insidious fame because those movies are so much about trying to stop the inevitable. Yeah, right. Uh, prevent something that's just like oh this family is beleaguered they're haunted they have to you know his whole idea of the realm of the further and how he depicts that I thought would be so cool and to like use the camera as a tool like what do you see through the lens what does the altered world look like through something that James Wan has has thought about I think that's Um, awesome yes I think that would be a really cool one for him and I I, totally these should be totally wildly different oh yeah you should be able to tune in week to week and be like there's nothing like that del Toro one from last week what's beautiful about this too is that you and you know you get the directors to kind of compete a little like i'm gonna make the best goosebumps movie uh, get best goosebumps show you know i love that about it because so i had oh i'm sorry go ahead no no who doesn't love that when like you get these directors like he's doing what well i have to do this and they have to one up each other absolutely and then 
I've got three more, uh, really just one more in the canon of six, then I had two bonus ones, right? So my Scarecrow walks at midnight, my precious Scarecrow. I'm giving it to Ari Aster because mm-hmm. I don't think there's someone who has more vision about sort of how the natural world and places of isolation can be horrifying rather than him. I would just love to see Aster's version of this kid caught on the farm and what happens to her and you know, what, what's the deal with the scarecrow? And I, I just, I can see his work on like a Midsommar yep. or even a hereditary, just, you know, just yeah. playing in here. What, what horror could he find? And because Astra would be a little bit more restrained because it's like a PG 13 outing. I just want to see what crazy shit he would do. You know what though? That's the thing. We've always said this across all mediums of how restrictions actually can spark creativity. For sure. And That's the draw some, story. Yeah. Yeah. Shoving something into a PG 13 rating could really make them, maybe instead of focusing on blood and guts and all that stuff, actually focus on being scary. Yeah, I agree. And then I just have two bonus ones that are stupid. My first stupid one that I think is not that stupid is The Cuckoo Clock of Doom, which is not a good book, admittedly. I think it's got a funny, cool cover. It's about a cuckoo clock that accidentally sends you know the protagonist back in time and the horror of that. Uh, and I wanted Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> just because uh, I thought he, why would, not? he would make a fun one. You know, Robert Zemeckis directed Death Becomes Her. Yeah. So he's not, not a stranger to horror. You've um, created a time machine out of a cuckoo clock? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh-huh. arguably not for reasons that were intentional. Forrest Gump is the scariest movie of all time. So Terrifying, you know. actually. Yeah. Terrifying. Um, and then my last one, which is another not good one. But remember, we like to redeem the not good ones on that's, this show. That's why we reboot. That's why we do it. Um, is A Night in Terror Tower. I really doubt anyone read this one. I it, like it's, it's fairly late in the series. And I think it's even past where I was collecting. Or it might have been right in the pocket, but it was late which is where basically these two kids go on a tour in what is basically the Tower of London. And they feel like they're being stalked by this, um, this, this man in black who you find out later is the Lord High Executioner from like medieval times. And they get transported backward in time. And this peasant woman is like hiding them or whatever. And uh, actually she ends up betraying them. And you find out that this character is the Lord High Executioner, right? It's pretty scary. And he wants to kill these kids. And you don't know why. Then we run into this magician or this wizard, and I think his name is like Margaret or uh, something with an M. There's there's a listener right now losing their mind because I can't remember the name. Um, it's Mordecai. Yeah, it's it's like Mordred or something, obviously sort of similar to that. He reveals them like, hey, you're actually the king's children. The king got murdered. I sent you forward in time to protect you, and I'm going to send you back there before the Lord High Executioner gets gets you. It's, it's something very similar to that plot. Actually, they might even be the, the Executioner's kids, but they're the heir to the thrones. It, it, it's really interesting. Anyway, they, they get saved. The magician actually goes forward in time with them. They defeat the Lord High Executioner, but there's kind of like this lingering feeling of dread in that one, only because those kids never get to be those kids ever again. It's been revealed that they're other people. And that was one of the few rare instances of Goosebumps where at the end you were kind of like, Oh, that is kind of fucked up, though, because it's not yeah. like they got to be like normal kids back in their family. Their family isn't even their family. They're out of time. They're like stuck. Like what happens next? And that one doesn't get a sequel. So that one was someone that was just always stuck with me. And I wanted to give it to M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, what a twist. It is a twist. We really shit all over M. Night Shyamalan. Like as a people, we do it because he's just made some weird choices and occasionally some really bad movies. But guy can make a fucking movie. He really yeah. can. He's and I think some you- great ones. Yeah, if you give him an interesting idea like that, I really think he could do something with it. He could do something with that twist and that lingering feeling of dread that I think could just show us why yeah. I think Shyamalan is and should be considered a master of horror, which which he is. So this is my, that's my pitch, Goosebumps Masters of Horror. It is a showcase of horror masters trying to do what Goosebumps always did from R.L. Stein's perspective, which is to raise up the next generation of horror fans 
the masters looking to the young apprentices and saying, Hey, one day you will join us. And here's what we have waiting for you. I think that's great, dude. That was actually very similar to like my main idea was to somehow do some sort of anthologized series of goosebumps where it's on TV regularly. And, you know, it's an hour episode with an introduction from a Rod Serling type where I would love it to be like Jack Black as R.L. Yeah, Stein. that's perfect. Uh, or, you know, Slappy's also great where if you want to do it like Tales from the Crypt with the Crypt Keeper. So I was thinking the same exact thing. Um, I had a backup idea, which I thought would be interesting. It's actually very similar to what you were talking about. And I think that Goosebumps in its natural form, because you switched mediums and I think switching mediums for Goosebumps is a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. But part of me also thinks that this started with literature. This started with writing. This started with books. And I think what would be cool is to have maybe quarterly or maybe every other month uh, or you know maybe three times a year. I don't know, some number. Maybe we release or Scholastic or whoever, whatever company has the rights to Goosebumps, releases a book. And I'm not talking about a Goosebumps book in the story. I'm not talking about something like that. I'm talking about something along the lines of like a Mad Magazine or a Shonen Jump where it's a collection or like even like, you know, you want to go Reader's Digest, you can do Reader's Digest or whatever. But it's a collection of stories that are printed in these magazines four times a year, every other month, something like that. And what you do in that instance is you bring in horror writers New up and coming horror writers could be screenwriters, could be horror writers that have been doing it for a long time that you want to come in and do a, like, listen, we, if we have more money than, you know, as you said, if we have more, if we have Musk money, bring in Stephen King to write a goosebump short story. Oh yeah. Bring in, great. you know, bring in, you know, some horror screenwriters, bring in a Jordan Peele to write a, a, a short story for a Goosebumps magazine or a Goosebumps book that gets printed every so often. And it's got a really good cover and it really plays into a little bit of the nostalgia of the nineties stuff. But also at the same time, it's something that you could give younger people to read something that will get them involved so that then they can become accustomed to these names and where these influences come from and what this series means. And they might want to go back and read some of the books or watch the TV series or watch a movie because in oh, the yeah, end, yeah. I, you want to spark creativity and you want to have, you right. want to get kids reading. And I think a great way to do that, especially getting kids into horror that's accessible for them. I think like a, an anthology book or magazine every few months, and it could be, dig- it's going to be digital too. But at that point, you know, if you're bringing in money, you can really pull in some high profile people to write these short stories and maybe each issue has 10 short stories in it. Maybe each issue has, you yeah. know, 10 or 15 short stories in it. You spend a lot of time really crafting them and, and giving a really good cover so that, you know, when someone picks up Goosebumps volume 10 in, you know, March of 2025, you look at it and you, there's 10 stories in there. And, and some of them are written by some really big names. And then some of them are written by new people who you're throwing a bone to who might, you know, write for comic books, like, or, or movies or something like that. Imagine taking like a, um, like a Scott Snyder and going, Hey, Scott, write us a goosebumps story, you know, not just, you know, and Stephen King and stuff like that, but then you can have some up and coming new people who are writing horror stories or stories that, that you might want to give them a shot and give them a, a, something to kind of a springboard to jump off. I love that. And it gets people Mm -hmm. reading and it's, and I love, 
I love a good magazine. I love a good comic book. I love a feel of, of that. And I always used to love reading stuff like Shonen Jump every month where you would page through it and there would be like 10 or 12 different comic book stories in there. And you would continue the month to month to month. You'd read Dragon Ball, you'd read Naruto, you'd read One Piece. So that's where I would go with Goosebumps if I'm not making an, an anthology TV series, which I think is the best idea for Goosebumps. And that's my I pitch. I love that. What I love also is just like, it's nice to have some physical media in your hands as well. Like I've yeah. always preferred a physical book. Like, yes, of yeah. course we would do a digital copy as well because kids should have access to anything. But um, yeah, physical book is great. I, what I love most is just like that, that springboard for new writers yep. or, or, you know, uh, even for kid writers, you know, to be able to write in that and, would to, be and to get published, too. you know? Yeah. Like imagine if you're a kid who's like 15 or 16, but you can write like crazy, sure. like do it, have contests send yeah. in letters, do stuff like that. Like I love that. There's something to that. There's something to that, that we can still embrace. Even if it's email, it doesn't have to be a letter. It can be an email, send an email with your story in it and they'll publish it. You could do contests, you could do giveaways. You could do so much stuff with a magazine like that and just pump it out to kids, you know, put advertisements in it for movies and TV shows and books and all that stuff and get kids really into reading, really into horror and actually give them the keys a little bit. I think it's a great idea, giving them the ability to read, uh, to write for it. That's great. Actually, our ideas are very similar in that we're ultimately trying to inspire the next generation yes. of horror fans, but also the next generation of just creatives, content exactly. creators, actors, mm -hmm. especially writers. Um, so that's, exactly. that's great. Yeah. Great, man. I love that. Uh, if you're looking for a name for your magazine, can I recommend Goose Flesh? Goose Flesh is great. We'll go Goose to go Flesh. Goose Flesh. Not Goosebumps Magazine. We'll just go Goose Flesh. Goose Flesh. Flesh. Um, yeah. Before we wrap up, I had a promise I made to the listeners last week. Yes, you week. did when we did our, our first spooktacular uh, episode, which was, Mike, what was our first spooktacular episode? Resident Evil. Resident Evil, thank you. I have a very short-term memory loss, probably from what I'm about to do. In my hand, Mike can confirm I have three pieces of Brax candy corn. Yep. I have purposely not eaten candy corn in years. And Mike, this is not a stunt. Like, this is real. I really I know, I know, I know you hate it. Candy corn in years. So this is really, this is, this is really happening do live. Do it now. Do All right, it now. So I am putting just one of the candy, whole corn, the whole candy whole corn, corn in my mouth. Corn. Full walls. And I'm going to describe my experience. So first I'm touching it. I want you to know it feels like wax. It straight up feels like a little piece of a candy. Yep, yep, it does. Okay, so I'm, I'm already not looking forward to this. It does have a sweet smell to it. It's made um, out of honey. I'm, I'm not, oh, okay. Well, that's, that's nice to focus on. Uh, I'm now putting it in my mouth. Oh, man. Um, Really sweet right away. I'm chewing it. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's waxy. Um, mm, it's getting worse. Uh, it dissolves pretty quickly, I got to say, with a couple of chews. I am really tasting that honey now that you mentioned it. Just really tangy honey sugar. Um, not as bad as I remember. I am going to eat the other two pieces because I <laughs> promised the listeners. So I'm just going to do this all at once. Oh, God. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So you eat these like regularly. I love them. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh boy. This is um. Yeah. This is this is gross. <laughs> well, you heard it here. Good. You heard it here, this folks. You heard it here, folks. Jordan does not like candy corn. Wash that down with a diet coke, my friend. No, but you know what, Mike? The next time you're you're when we're in person, the next time you're here, you can have them. Okay. Great. I will eat the whole bag. And you. You are welcome to it. This Jordan, is, um, I, I respect you keeping your promise and doing this on air. I listen, really when I say it. to the listeners, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's what that's, that's what our listeners deserve. That is the goose flesh guarantee, my friend. That's right, baby. Goose flesh guarantee. Stamp goose flesh. It. Hashtag goose flesh guarantee. Hashtag I want to see flesh. that from the listeners. Hashtag goose flesh. I love it. Let's do it. 
Let's do that. Well, thank you for doing that for us, Jordan. And thank you for giving oh, us boy. yet another lovely pitch. Those of you on the internet, thank you so much for listening to this oh, week's episode. Oh my God, episode. the aftertaste, my God. It's going to be bad. Uh, <sighs> thank you for listening to this week's episode of How About This, where we talked about goosebumps. And I once again have to thank the master of horror himself, Mr. Jordan Hugh. Thank you so much, my friend. Oh, yes. And thank you to Mike, who is Mike is the thing waiting in the basement. He's the phantom of the auditorium. Ah. And thank you so much for that. And thank you for tuning in. And we will catch you next time with more episodes of the Halloween. Oh, sorry. Halloween spooktacular. (laughs) Gooseflesh. Hashtag hashtag gooseflesh. Gooseflesh. Later. And there you have it. Our take on goosebumps. Was it frightening enough for you? Thanks again for listening, but now we are at the most horrifying part of the How About This podcast. The end. And when we promote ourselves. So please, if you'd like, join us on Instagram at HowAboutThisPod or Facebook.com slash HowAboutThisPod. And if you want other people to have the bone-chilling frights you just experienced, be sure to give a like, subscribe, Leave a comment and share it with all of your ghoulish friends. So for Jordan Hugh, my name is Mike Staub. And thank you for listening to the How About This Halloween Spooktacular.